my guest, JJ Omojua, is described as a Nigerian blogger, author, public speaker, political commentator, and social media expert. He's chief strategist at Alpha Reach and has also been referred to as the king of the clique with a huge Twitter following of over a million. He's a young man with opinions and with substantial clout. I will be chatting with him via Zoom about the topic of social media influences and what this means for journalism and access to information in general, especially in the African context. Is the influence a phenomenon, good or bad, or just a passing phase? Welcome to this free speak podcast of the Namibia Media Trust, where we talk about all things media. I'm your host, Gwen Lister. Welcome, JJ, and thanks so much for joining me for this discussion. Thank you, Gwen. It's such a pleasure to be doing this for you. You're such an icon, so thank you for hosting me. And that's very kind of you to say that. JJ, let's start off with you. As my introduction shows, you've got diverse identities and descriptions, but who or what is JJ or Joshua in essence? So I can understand the diversity because my influence and my participation has cut across different layers of society. Right. But in that sense, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm a human, of course. I want to make a difference wherever and whenever I can. I wouldn't mind seeing the world in the midst of that. I love to travel. So if fixing problems and meeting people will help me do more, I want to do that. If that affords me to meet people from different parts of the world, even more beautiful, um, ultimately, I'd love to leave the world a better place. And when I say the world, I don't necessarily mean the entire world. I just mean the, the worlds that I collide with, the worlds that I meet with um, in the course of my own existence, the people that I meet, the institutions, the platforms. I want to be able to leave you know, the last, my last breath to feel like I have done the best that I could with the resources that I had and the people that I could work with. So in essence, I would say that's why. I think that's wonderful the way you've you've summarized that, uh, JJ. And uh, good to know also that you're a people person because if one wants to make a difference, clearly it's important to, you know, be in touch with people all over the place. But maybe we can firstly move on to clarifying this phrase, social media influencer. It is generally defined as a user who has established credibility in a specific industry has access to a huge audience like you have, and you can persuade others to act based on their recommendations. I know from hearing your recent intervention at the Deutsche Welle Global Media Conference in Bonn that you generally have a very positive outlook about social media when many others don't. And you see this platform as contributing to the democratization, shall we say, of voices globally as opposed to what's been referred to as ivory tower legacy media like print, which doesn't empower free expression to nearly the same extent. Your thoughts about this, JJ? That's interesting because um, the world is changing and we need to pay attention to those changes without feeling like we're losing touch because too many times I think a lot of people struggle with the change, they, they are stuck in a world as it used to be, and they find it difficult finding expression, whether in terms of their talents in the world as it is now, 
Uh, for me, it's it hard to knock that. I, I was born in a world where you just had to wait for the TV in Nigeria, at least. You, you had to wait for the TV to come on at, at um, 4, 4 p.m. And then the TV closes at, at 10 p.m. I remember that, and you used to look at the test pattern until it started. <laughs> yes, and, and that was a different world. That was a world where you were, you had to wait. I also grew up in, in a home where there was no microwave, so you couldn't just have your meal in, in two minutes or thereabouts. And now things are very, very different. The things that we used to call, if, if you say Windows to, to a 10-year-old or maybe a 15-year-old today, that person is not likely to think the other entrance to to a house they are likely to think computer if if you say mouse to that same generation they they probably will also think of the animal but in the same breath they would think of what you used to move the cursor on a computer it's a changing world um, a lot of people that that played and thrived in the old world as it were uh, find it difficult to embrace the change but unfortunately th this change is not even a stagnant reality, it's dynamic. So it, it has changed and it continues to change right before our eyes. And the best individuals and platforms and institutions can do is to embrace the change and find means and opportunities to thrive in the midst of it and to develop the competencies and opportunities necessary for them to even do more in, in the spaces and based on their objectives, their visions and their values. Right, and, and, and the places where their, their voices um, have most resonance, because maybe just to mention here briefly, we all know obviously that the digital world is, is coming to Africa with a vengeance, um, but radio, for example, still remains a very, very powerful medium on the continent. So it's interesting, you know, people must choose the types of communications and platforms that they prefer. Yeah, exactly. And what, what, what we have to pay attention to is essence for me, essence. So what's the essence of the change? I think for me, the essence of the change is that the ordinary person now has a voice more than ever before. Right. That is not to say that we still don't have powerful platforms and even at times gatekeepers. There are some form of, there's some form of gatekeeping that still happens. Right. But generally speaking, that person who created their Twitter account today with their one or two followers today can actually bring up an issue that all of us pay attention to. If they just know how to copy two or three or four people with substantial influence who might find what they just shared important. The distance between them creating their account and sharing it and having it amplified has been so short and having many people hear what they have to say has been so shortened versus the distance between writing a letter to the editor of a newspaper and hoping that it gets published. Even if it gets published, the distance between today's world is much shorter than the world where you're waiting for that thing to be published. Not to mention the distance between getting on TV and being able to share your opinions and, and your ideas on, on TV or even having a, your letter read on TV. So it's a world of freedom. I think we're going in the direction of freedom. It comes with its own challenges, as it were, as with virt virtually every creation, as with virtually every movement and advancement of technology, it comes with challenges. But too many times, some people are obsessed with looking at what's not working and the bad side of these creatives and the interventions and innovations rather than look at the essence. What's the essence of this change? The democratization, the opportunities 
available for an entire continent to represent itself, to defend itself, to insert itself in conversations that ordinarily it never was considered, conversations that ordinarily never even considered it. And for individuals that have not been written about, whether on account of their physical disability, on account of just the fact that they were born in certain places. It's a much different world now. I see Kenyans, for instance, pushing back on the likes of CNN and saying, no, you can't just see the Pope is coming to war on Kenya. You have your map wrong. You've got to go and check again. I yes. see other parts yeah. of Africa making those corrections. I see people pushing back on attempts to paint Africa as, as this diseased continent. I think that was from Reuters. We were reporting the spread of monkeypox monkeypox in Europe, and you're using the picture of an African, I see a lot of pushback on that, and I see reversals. I see people learning, they want to learn, and ultimately, this, these are the examples of the change that these systems and these spaces and this technology and this social media is helping to make happen, and I think generally we should be happy about that. Oh, I absolutely agree. And certainly, you know, it's already been proven that um, voices on social media can and do make a difference. There's no question. But of course, JJ, those threats that were always there in the past um, for so-called legacy or traditional media, such as uh, uh, undemocratic governments and other forces, which do not like the voices of the people or the voices of independent journalism, can always shut down. Um, like they can bomb a newspaper house, arrest journalists, they can also, of course, pull the plug on the internet. And as you and I both know, this has happened on a few occasions in Africa itself. Um, any quick comments on that? It's, it's inevitable. The, the quest for freedom will always be a constant battle. There will always be the attempt to, to shut down people's voices, to right. reverse people's freedoms. The, for the for the 21st century, it, on one side was a fight against terrorism. On the other side, reduced the freedom of everyday citizens because it gave government more, a lot more power than it used to have in the name of national security. And more often than not, if you check, a lot of these reversals of freedom, a lot of these attempts to get people's voices, whether via social media or the legacy media, they've always been built on the national security argument. They've always been built on the national interest argument. Absolutely. Um, JJ, moving on to the question of most specifically influencer on, on social media, tell me a little bit about your personal role as an influencer and your recipe, if that's the right word, for what you've had, which is fame on social media. Is your following mainly youthful, primarily African? And is there, and I think you may have already answered that question, a moral imperative that guides you? And if so, to what extent do you incorporate journalistic principles in your outreach? I think the, the I'll start from the bottom of the question, the, the question around journalistic principles. Right. I think that was more or less, that was more or less imposed upon me as soon as I realized I had a big voice as soon as I realized my, my platform was very influential, I started to, be, to, to make sure that everything I said could be tested and verified. Um, it became ve I became naturally, I don't know if that was natural because it's possible to have grown those numbers and remain responsible. I have seen people with huge influence continue to just do it the way they want to do it. Right. But for me, it just was, it became a responsibility on account of my power that um, this is a very powerful platform. 
This is a platform that a lot of people pay attention to when they're looking in, into the continent. This is a platform that a lot of people on the continent also pay attention to. And I started to moderate myself. I, I, I allowed the pressure and the expectation to moderate the way I went about my way. I wouldn't call it journalistic principles per se. I would say responsibility. If that intersects with journalistic principles, then beautiful. But I, I wasn't thinking, oh, now I need to apply journalistic principles. It just, for me, was on account of seeing that I had so much power, I needed to moderate my power. And not as much for moral reasons as it is for being able to sustain myself. Right. In that the public uh, systems, they have a way of rewarding good and bad behavior in, in the different ways according to what they deserve. People will not follow you consistently for 13 years if they know that you're serious and you don't care for whether the news is true or untrue or your opinions, they, they don't reflect people's expectations. Like there are certain things that are too obvious and when your opinions are going in a certain direction and they're constantly going in that direction, then there's grounds for suspicion. And I've been here for since 2008 and I continue to con command this, this sort of respect and influence that I do. And I think that's because I allowed myself to be moderated by the principles that in my opinion say, just respect other people for starters retain your personality, retain your originality, and pay attention to the fact that your voice is big, is strong, and you cannot use it any, anyhow. Primarily African, but I have a lot of following from across the world and the African diaspora. A lot of young people, but I have a lot of adults, a lot of policy makers, a lot of boardroom leaders following me, and all of these different personalities and diff different people coming at me from different rooms has definitely moderated the way I have gone about my work and the recipe. To start with, I don't see myself as an influencer, the same way I don't see myself as an activist. Right. Even though I think that in the definition of who an influencer is, I am one. Even though I believe that I do the, I play the role of an activist at times because I bring people together, I identify specific problems, and I look to bring people together and resources to solve them. But I'm, I'm very afraid of boxes. In 2011, in September 2011, before I became this very influential person that I am now, I tweeted that I was not a journalist, that I was not an activist, that I was JJ Omojua, and they would remember my name. And I tweeted that because <laughs> it was very important for me not to be put in any of these boxes. I, I saw myself then and now as a human who would have expression in different ways on different platforms in different styles. And I was also very conscious of the changing nature of technology and how, and I think we probably will come to that later, and how if you put if you get put in a box, you don't find it difficult evolving into the changing nature of the technology and even society itself. And then a time comes that you might have to then die. And I don't necessarily mean die physically, you are right. physically. I mean die in terms of whether that's that job, that position. And I've heard people also talk about thinking outside of the box. I don't have a problem with that, but I also know that they assume that outside of the box is such a big thing, but there's no big deal about thinking outside of the box because when you think outside of the box, what you're basically doing is you're not thinking in a different box, probably right. even a better box, but you are still in a box. We are always going to be thinking within a box because our worldviews, are always going to be limited by our biases, by the places we've been, by the books we've read, by the, by the experiences that we have. And our commitment should always be to explore 
different boxes and new boxes. But we must not think that just because you're thinking outside of the box, that you're not free from the limitations of your biases and, and, and your behavior and your character and your experiences and the limitations of your education and other such influences on our behavior and our ideas. So I think it's important because what you're really emphasizing is the need for us to be adaptive uh, to changing cir circumstances or clearly get left behind. And the other important point I take from what you've just said, uh, uh, JJ, is the question that even though you might not subscribe to journalistic principles per se in your role as influencer, um, that nevertheless, uh, you do feel it's important to have some kind of ethical um, can one call it, view of the world, uh, where not everything goes. Because, of course, as you know, that's one of the mo major critiques of social media is that it is a breeding ground often uh, for incitement, defamatory content, you name it, it's, it's out there. So I think the fact that you're applying a responsible, if that's the right word, I don't like it normally because governments use it a lot, but a responsible approach to the kind of things you would tweet about and the guidance you may give to the youth. And I think that's that's a very important um, attitude to have on social media. There are, of course, people who say that the words influencer and journalist shouldn't be used in the same sentence and that the two are, in fact, diametrically opposite. Um, I think there's no doubt that journalists can be influencers. And at the same time, I think of someone like a Christian Amanpour with over three million followers but what are your thoughts? Can influencers be journalists or news influencers, as I've heard them called? Can there be a true synergy between the two, or are they just completely different animals, so to speak? An influencer may not be a journalist, but in my opinion, a journalist who does their job well is an influencer. Right. Because when you do your job well as a journalist, you're passing information, and information by nature, influences decisions and right. behavior, right? So a journalist who, who does their job well, before we start talking about whether they have 3 million followers or 1 million followers on any platform, if their job is on different platforms and humans have access to their job, their content, then by nature, they are, they are influencing. They are influencing because people are able to be influenced when they come in contact with something that changes them, ideas. And journalism is about ideas, information. Journalism is about information. Access to other worlds. Journalism is about putting people in touch with other worlds, the worlds that you probably have never been to, places that you probably have never been to. Journalists are influencers. I know that when we say influencers in this context, now we're talking about people with a huge following on social media. And I don't think that that's a problem for a journalist to be in. I don't think that that's a, a box that a journalist can be in. In today's world, the pressure of the newsroom, the pressure of capitalism also means that a lot of a lot of media platforms, let me not just say international media platforms, a lot of media platforms would even rather their journalists have substantial following yeah. on social media. Right. Because those following help to also grow and bring eyes to the platforms. But and the beauty of journalists becoming influencers is that they they are better influencers because they start out from the place. I didn't start out from the place of the consciousness of responsibility. I started out from the place of I have a right to talk. I'm going to talk. The journalists 
start out from being moderated by the ideas and the ethics and the responsibilities of journalism. So when they get a bigger voice, they just express the, that nature. Right. It's different from an, an influencer. He might, I don't see myself as one, like I said earlier, but I'm an influencer. It is different from somebody who organically grew their voice just by expressing themselves. And in my case, I had to adjust into becoming someone like a journalist who is not conscious of what they say and how they say it. So in that sense, the influencer may not be a journalist. The influencer can become a journalist, but a journalist in reality is an influencer. They just need to pay attention to that because a journalist in reality is an influencer. Whether you're influencing by virtue of writing articles in a physical newspaper or by virtue of supplying content to a TV station or by virtue of working for a podcast platform or by virtue of having many people follow you on social media or people don't even follow you at all on social media. As long as you're creating content you and people are accessing your content, you are influencing and you're an influencer. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right that, uh, you know, an online presence, I guess, is all but mandatory for, for writers in general, and especially those using image and social branding to sell their work to the world. But, you know, I guess the concern always remains that does it, and I think about that when I myself am active on, on Twitter as a platform, um, doesn't it often just help make us kind of salespeople and PR practitioners you know, which are kind of concepts which were traditionally a, a real anathema to real journalists. And also the risk that we're selling ourselves rather than our words and the input uh, we're giving. So that remains a concern. But I think you're absolutely right that there is a convergence between journalism and influencer culture. But how, JJ, in the face of this, do we maintain the importance of access to good information? And for the journal and for the or for the influencer to remain true to themselves and their own credibility, for example, above the trivia and the clickbait content. In other words, young Africans, for example, may follow um, people on social media who are not the greatest role models. Uh, they may be following simply for sensational content. How do we guide the youth towards following people who really are meaningful? In, in the sense of social media? See, whether you're selling yourself or not, your words are selling you. Your words are selling you. People who are interested in the best feature articles will follow the person who writes the best feature article. People who are interested in people who write comedy will follow the best writers of comedy. So right. whether right. as a journalist you're looking, to, you're looking to be a salesperson or not, by virtue of just doing your work, you're selling yourself. In, in, in a different sense, people are going to be buying from you anyway, whether you're trying to sell to them or not. So that's why an Amon Paul would have over 3 million followers. I don't think right. that she went out there and said, please follow me, uh, please send Amon Paul. No, but people on account of wanting to buy from her, in quotes, wanting to assess her personality and her work, then they follow her. So in that sense, excellence is the real thing, right? If, exactly. if a journalist and you're doing it, and you're doing it responsibly, you're paying attention to all the ethics, you're going out of your way to bring the big stories, you're telling the stories differently from how others are telling them, you're opening people's eyes to things that they've seen before, but they, you're making them see it in a different way, you're making them see things that they've never seen before for the first time, by and large, they will follow you. So your work will sell you, your words will sell you. 
you don't have to be a salesperson to be that person. And talking about the pressure of clickbait and other such issues and the possibility of being seen as PR practitioners, I think those lines are different, right? I think that, of course, there's pressure for clickbaiting, but from what I have seen, I opened my first Twitter account in 2009, and I think I opened my Facebook account in 2007 or 2008, and I had some other social media platforms like High Five before then. And yeah. from what I have seen across these times, what I have seen is that whilst people may be excited by something flashy and clickbaity, what happens is that eventually they will open their eyes to the fact that, nah, this is not good enough. Right. They will stick with those that are professional. They will stick with those that are consistent. They will stick with those that respect them enough to do the work as it's supposed to be done rather than do the work for some flashy attention. And that's why in the midst of the changing world, in the midst of the, the changing demography that pays attention to news and content, people like Christian Amanpo continue to command a huge following. People like yourself continue to command a huge following. Young people still read about you. They still follow you on your different platforms and they continue to listen to you because ultimately deep calls onto deep. People like to be entertained, so they follow a lot of entertainers. Right. People like to laugh, so they follow a lot of comedians. But when it's time for them to see and hear serious stuff, they don't go to the comedians for that. Right, they don't exactly. They entertainers for that. When the elections come, they don't want the entertainers to come and start analyzing the issues for them. They go to the people that they normally would go to, the journalists, the commentators, the experts, because when push comes to shove, people know where to get their meal. When push comes to shove, people know where their homes are. People know right. where their, their bread is buttered. It, depending on what bread they want buttered, if, is it entertainment? Is it knowledge? Is it education? Um, I think sometimes people are impatient, so they look at the fact that some musician has 10 million followers or 20 million followers, and they think that as a journalist, they can be that person. No, you, you can't be yourself, and you can still have a level of influence that may not equally in terms of the, the numbers compare with these other people, but you can have as much influence as them. And just it's just for everybody to understand the roles that they play and to understand that, for instance, I'm not an entertainer. Sometimes I might entertain, but I'm not an entertainer. Sometimes when I speak, I might make you laugh, but I'm not a, right. I'm not a comedian. Right. So everybody needs to understand their responsibilities. And I think generally, the universe rewards those that are responsible. The universe rewards those that respect the audience. The universe rewards those that put in the work and are helping themselves to be better at what they do. I like the way you've put that, and I, and I really hope that uh, that comes true, because I think one of the major concerns coming from the journalistic world that I emanate from is the concern about the blurring of lines between fact and opinion. And, of course, so many people on social media may not be sophisticated, necessarily media literate, and perhaps naive at times, and they often take opinion as fact. So that is one of the concerns going forward. So, But I'd be very interested, JJ, as we head towards the end of this very interesting discussion, what you, as a non-journalist, for example, think um, the world looks like for journalism in general? As journalists, for example, online increasingly choose to go it alone, 
um, which in a way is leading to the further fracturing of the world of legacy media, which is already so challenged by diminishing profits and faced with huge sustainability challenges for the future as their audiences turn to social media for their news. Is there a place in our world for good journalism that can really still make a difference in the lives of citizens? There is, there is. And I would also say that these blurry lines are not new. What social media has done, the blurry lines between facts and opinion is not new. What social media has done is basically scale it because now it's become so massive, mass, mass, mass to mass, right? But we, we live in a world, some people lived in a world where they, they were told that what did not exist existed. In the, in the words of Hitler, in the words of Mussolini, in the words of Stalin, these things happened. Right. What they didn't have was the scale to, to sell those ideas. So postmodernism post is, is not exactly something that started to be on account of, of Trump. Right. The, 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 lady, the lady who coined the, the phrase alternative facts has more or less now disappeared from the scene, right? Exactly. She, she looked like a star. Alternative facts. She looked like a star. She looked like new kid on the block and, you know, counselor to President Trump, uh, I think, um, Conway. Yes, that's right. She had she had a place in the sun, and the best reference to her is the fact that she coined alternative facts. But whilst she did coin alternative facts, the reality of alternative facts precedes the world of social media. It precedes the world of the internet. And also, a type of journalist, they don't stay too long on the scene. They disappear, ultimately. Mm. So as this era of Trump or the presidency, because it was still in the era of Trump one way or the other, as that presidency disappeared, long before the presidency actually disappeared, she disappeared. So there is there is a word for that. There is a word for journalism in the traditional sense. And when I say the traditional sense, I don't mean journalists that don't use social media. I mean journalists that pay attention to ethics and values that will survive through time, irrespective right. of what platform. So the platforms may change, but the values will not change. The ethics will not change. Responsibility to your audience must not change. And those that do that, as long as they are also learning to evolve with the, with technology, then they will they will reap the rewards of opportunities that those technology bring. I would use music as an example. Yes, I'm not I'm not I'm not even like 40 years right, but I grew up listening to music. My parents had the vinyl. Eventually, it transited to CDs. I remember using Walkmans in in, in secondary school, high school, for instance, Walkmans. Eventually, it transited to iPods. Right now, most young people, and most people, I think, listen to music by streaming. They listen to music by streaming. Any musician who is doing music and is not paying attention to the changing platforms may be a good musician, but they may get left behind. If they don't move with the times, technologically. The platforms are changing. Right. So it's the same thing with the journalists. You may be a great journalist, you may be a good journalist, but you must pay attention to the changing platforms because the changing platforms are what will determine how the people assess your content. And if you're creating and people are not assessing, so what's the point? What are you, are you creating for yourself? If you're creating for yourself, then fine, don't pay attention to any changing platforms. Just create and consume by yourself. 
But I think that journalists create for others as much as they do it for themselves. In that sense, then you must pay attention to changing platform. You cannot afford to be the person who is complaining about things have changed, things have changed. You must be the person who is even helping advance that change. You must be the person who is even helping to explain why those changes are good and they may be bad and why people must look to pick the good away from the bad. You cannot be the person who is angry at the change because change will happen anyway. You just want to make sure that you don't get swept away by change because change constantly actually brings in new winners it retains people that used to win from different platforms and brings them across if they play along with the change. And it leaves people behind, those that refuse to see the change. Those that slept on their oars thinking that all they needed to do was to have the skills. You must, you, you must improve on your skills, your ability. Now we're talking podcasting. Right. You, didn't, you were not born in the world of podcasting. No. You did not become an icon in the world of podcasting. But here you are hosting an important conversation on, on, a, on a platform that did not exist 15 years ago, that was not popular 10 years ago, that even on the continent today cannot be said to be popular yet. Right. Times are changing, and anyone who cares about their crafts and their skills and their profession, and even the ethics and the values of their profession, they must learn to change with the times, because if you, if you want to influence this generation and the next generation, if you care about that, then you must care about how to meet with them. You must care about where they get you from, where they assess you from. Once you do that, then it becomes much easier to influence them. And then we can then make sure that the good parts of the change don't get lost because the bad parts will be there automatically. The people, the bad people will not find it difficult changing because somehow, some way by default, weeds grow anyway to make a garden beautiful, you must, it, it doesn't happen by accident. Weeds will grow by, as by default. Bad things somehow happen by default. Unfortunately, to make good things happen, we must cultivate them like we cultivate a garden, like you cut your flowers, trim your flowers, prune your trees. That's what we must do if we want a better journalistic world. We cannot just sit down and hope that things will happen by default. Unfortunately, that's not how the world works. I think you've hit on a very important point, which is, of course, the, the importance of journalism making a transition, a successful transition from, you know, legacy media, newspapers, and, and so on, to the new world. Uh, and the question is, of course, whether they can succeed with this to try and sustain um, good journalism, because I do think it is important in general. But JJ, also my penultimate question, perhaps, I think young people who listen to our podcast today uh, won't forgive me if I don't um, ask you the question as to whether you have any specific advice for young people set on becoming influencers. And I think we accept the different types of influencers. There might be young women who are talking about fashion and latest uh, uh, beauty uh, things. There are others who are more politically minded. There are others who are very specifically selling things and being a PR or a practitioner, if you like, um, for um, companies and so on. What, what advice would you give? What options do young people have today in this online space, really to make a living for themselves? Because I think this is a critical question on our continent and especially in countries like my own, where unemployment is, is really such a huge problem. Are there opportunities that they can make use of? 
I'd use an analogy to answer that question. So for a phone, be the best phone you can be. For a TV, be the best TV you can be. For a pressing iron, be the best pressing iron you can be. For whatever you want to be, be the best you can be. Absolutely. Then yourself to the modern electricity, which is the internet. So the point is, no matter how beautiful that phone, that TV is, if it doesn't get plugged to power, then its influence is limited. Right. So whatever you want to be, whether you want to be a hairdresser, whether you want to be a makeup artist, whether you want to be a newscaster, whether you want to be a musician, whether you want to be a politician, an activist, anything you want to be, be the best at that thing. Push yourself, learn more, explore new ideas, explore new skills, new opportunities, do all of that. And then find out what are the most popular platforms of influence in your country. In Ghana, it's Facebook. In Nigeria, it's Facebook as much as it is Twitter. In Togo, it is Facebook. Unfortunately, I don't know what it is for Namibia. I would think it's probably either Twitter or Facebook. They are the, the ones that it's easy to suspect them, the Instagrams of this world, the Facebooks of this world, the Twitters of this world, the YouTubes. Plug yourself to those places. So it's not enough to say, you know I'm the best at this thing. Because the difference between two people that equally are great at what they do, they are adroit at what they do, they are excellent at what they do. As soon as one of them finds the internet, as soon as one of them plugs themselves to the internet, when I say plug themselves, they, they right. find a way to learn how to use the internet and they plug themselves to do to social media platforms. That that other person, first of all, has automatically broken international boundaries because now their skills can be taken from to different parts of the world. In 2010, I got, an, I got a message on my Facebook from someone who wanted me to consult for something he was building for, for Nigeria. It was in San Francisco. As I speak to you, I've never met him, but that was the first time I earned $1,000 I'd never met before. He, he just read my articles. He thought that I understood Nigeria, and he thought that I would have perspectives to help him develop this app he was building, a civic app he was building. And I ended up, I was serving the country at the time. It's called the National Youth Service. We were being paid a fraction per month of what this person was going to be paying me per month. Just because I was in a place where I could be, where my work could be assessed from anywhere in the world. I know young Nigerians, for instance, that are exporting their products from Nigeria. I also know young Nigerians that are working for corporations all over the world. Outsourcing is a big deal now. There are people that are working in America who continue to live in India, who continue to live in Ghana, who continue to live in China. So ultimately, you have to find out what's that thing that you can do that has commercial value. So it's not enough that you like to do that thing. Nothing really has to have commercial value. It has commercial value. And then you plug yourself to it. Four weeks ago, my niece, who is waiting to get into university, I decided, excuse me, you just, your generation cannot afford, there's no waiting time for your generation. So once you're waiting to get into university, I'm gonna put you in a school where you can learn programming language. Four weeks later, she was showing me yesterday after I arrived what she had learned. And I was telling her, do you know, I don't know any of these things you're showing me. Like I, have, I, I know what they do. I know what it translates to on the website, but I cannot do this myself. Right. And it's just four weeks. So in four weeks, she knows the back end and the front end of programming. She knows languages like Java. She knows C++. She knows which are the things to pay attention to. And, I, and I'm guiding her. I'm telling her, 
As you go along, just continue to check what languages matter, what languages are their influence is receding. We can offer guidance, but the young people must understand that they live in a completely different world and they cannot isolate themselves from the pressures of that world. That is not to say that everybody must learn programming. The point I'm just trying to say is that you must, whatever you say you know, you must know it to the point that you can express that skill anywhere in the world. Because what then happens is that when you get plugged to the internet, the internet will take you to places I have used about six passports in the last 10 years, just traveling the world. And the bulk of the people that invite me to different parts of the world that they invite me to principally saw me on the internet or right. saw me at an event where someone who saw me on the internet invited me to. I'm having this conversation with you because we met at the Global Media Forum. Exactly. Very, very likely. I can't really trace how the DW found out about me. But if we trace the story, it's very likely that they found out about me on the internet. And I'm on the board of an international organization that in 2014 found me on YouTube. They were not looking for me. They were looking for speakers to speak to an African issue. Exactly. For a conference in 2014, they went on YouTube, they found my video. And today, I went from speaking on their first plenary session focused on Africa in 2014. Today, I'm on the board of that organization, influencing that organization, making that organization be more receptive to changing ideas, whether it's about young people, whether it's about the need to bring the global south to their platforms. Absolutely. And that's how it goes. It doesn't have to go in the direction of my story, but that's really how it goes, that develop your skills. It's not enough to think that you know what you know. You must be really certain that you know what you know, and you must test that knowledge and that skill and be certain that people actually are not afraid to pay for that. And then let the internet help you take your voice away. So you're a good musician. Get plugged to the amplifier. Let the rest of the world hear your music because we want to dance to it. We want to listen to it. We want to be inspired by it. But if your music, if your skills for music ends by you just singing under the shower or in your room, you don't want to use SoundCloud, you don't want to explore tools that would bring your music to the fore, to homes, without necessarily, before you even sign to any record label, then you're not helping yourself. So it's good to have those skills. It's good to have the desire. But you have to understand that you must plug yourself to platforms that take you to the rest of Namibia, first of all, and the right. rest of the world, ultimately. And I think, JJ, your story in particular will be an inspiration, really, and you'll be a role model to many youth. But one of the things I love most about what you've just said is that, and I always urge the youth and those I mentor in the journalistic sphere, that people, or young people especially, should be the best that they can be in whatever uh, passion or endeavor they undertake in life. I always tell them, and I know this is a very dispirited, sometimes even a desperate youth that we're dealing with, that everybody is good at something. And you need to find your passion and you need to find your niche, whether that be on the internet or in the digital world or not. Um, just follow that and let us not celebrate mediocrity for heaven's sake. Let us really go after excellence. So I love what you've said there. Um, on the last point, JJ, and I think I've taken up enough of your time with this fascinating discussion. I think we must all, and we do all accept that social media is here to stay and that in a sense, the role of legacy media has shrunk in the face of this and other imperatives. But speaking from my heart as a sort of died in the world journalist who 
has always believed in the power of good journalism and what it can do to change the world and also to inform people properly about their rights and their responsibilities and the world that they live in. Where do you think this, this leaves our people and how can we take Africa forward as a continent where both free expression is the norm and yet we continue to cherish the role of journalism in citizens' life, in speaking truth to power, and in really, at the end of the day, maintaining democracy where it exists. Your last thoughts, JJ. I think we must advance access to the internet because there's a direct correlation between right. access to the internet and freedom. We must also advance affordability of that access. Because Absolutely. Again, there's a direct correlation, not just with their rights, actually with their prosperity. Enough, more than enough research, there's a plethora of research that has that shows not just a correlational effect, but a causative effect between access to the internet and productivity and GDP growth. So we must advance that. One of the ways to know how powerful these platforms are is to, to pay attention to what some oppressive governments do just before elections, what they do to the internet. They try to shut it down. It's either they try to shut it down or they threaten to shut, shut it down, whether it's the internet generally or specific social media platforms. It's a real sign of the power that these platforms hold. So it's very critical that as we go forward as a people, we must do everything we can to fight for access for our people. So in Nigeria, and using my book, I, I fought for the removal of the right of way. What right of way in Nigeria basically is the cost, the, the big cost, the huge cost for companies to lay fiber optic cables across the country. Unfortunately, after that, some Nigerian subnationals have completely removed the right of way. Some have reduced that cost drastically. And now more people are accessing the internet. Those right. are the battles that we must fight. Because access opens people's eyes to a new world and new opportunities. Some of our citizens just do not know that there is a better world out there where people can actually express themselves as free citizens, as free human beings. Some of our people actually see it as a norm to just allow governments treat them anyhow. They have come to accept, accept this because this is a world that they, they've always been used to. So before we even speak about anything else, let's fight for access for them. And knowing that these things are expensive, let's fight for the crash in prices. So now affordability. When we do that, we would have been halfway into the journey of opening up the civic space, of opening up many people's eyes to what can be, and also opening up opportunities for everyone. And whilst I'm aware that the internet and access to the internet comes with other challenges, and the real challenges, you can, you can say you granted a child and you give them the phone that they still access the internet, they could literally be talking to terrorists and be getting influence in a whole different way. Whilst right. you're thinking that they've been grounded, they've only been grounded physically. To ground someone today, you have to take away the internet from them. And that's what governments seek to do. They don't stop you from traveling. Now, they just take away the internet because exactly. the world has changed so much that two people can be very, very good friends for 10 years and they've never met each other before. Two people can be business partners dealing in hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions. And in the period they've done businesses together, they've never physically met before because now they can interact regularly more than the people that they live with physically on the same street. Because I personally have seen a huge change in the strength and power and the voice of people, especially young people, the more of them that get connected to these spaces. And I don't say that once that happens, change will happen. 
I said that once that happens, more people get to know, more people get to learn, more people get to feel empowered. And as long as you have the right people helping to guide them, helping to make them see the, their power and the essence of their power, I think that we can make more change happen. Wonderful. So access and affordability is absolutely key. And I think that's a wonderful note on which to end this podcast, JJ. And thanks again for taking time. And I hope that your travels will bounce, as you say, towards Namibia one of these days. We'd love to host you here and um, have you access our country and our people as well as the rest of the continent. Thank you so much for taking time. 